Our second scripture reading is from Acts chapter 7 also. It's going to be the second half of the story Jonathan just read. Acts chapter 7, verses 54 to 60. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, um, super intense story, right? <laughs> and um, just everyone on Zoom as a heads up, little thing says recording. We're just recording this for the audio, so don't worry about it. We're not going to use your faces for anything, I promise. So I don't know how you guys feel. We're gonna talk about this in a second. I'm feeling super preachy today, so if I go long, someone just turn off the microphone, I'm sorry. Um, I, sometimes we just get sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? I don't know about you guys, but man, sometimes life just piles up. And, and at some point we get to a thing where one of two things happens. We either snap at someone we love, we act in a way that's completely ridiculous and then feel stupid afterwards. Um, or, or if it's not an outward thing, it's an inward thing. And, and we, we either feel really shameful or really guilty, or maybe we just feel like life's not fair, right? We just sort of go inward on ourselves and get really sad. You know, maybe we listen to sad music from our teenage years or something. I don't know. I still do that, by the way. I still listen to sad music from the 90s whenever I'm sad. Um, I'm not, I'm real, I'll, I'll, I'll not say who. Um, so here's Stephen. We talked about this last week with the deacons. He's a deacon in the early church. He's a servant. He's a leader. He can clearly teach and lead others. Uh, I encourage you, by the way, to go back this week and read all of Acts chapter 6 and 7. It's just wonderful. We just don't have time to read it all tonight. But what happens is, is the leaders, the, the Sanhedrin, the ruling class in Jerusalem, is actually going back on their word from Acts chapter 5. If you remember in Acts chapter 5, a Pharisee named uh, Gamaliel... Uh, told them, hey, don't fight these people. If it's of man, it will die. And if it's of God, it will continue. And you can't stop it anyways. But here we are in the very next chapter or two chapters later, and they're already going back on their, their, their wisdom from one of their colleagues and saying, no, we're going to figure this out. People are arguing with Stephen, Scripture tells us, and, and his wisdom from the Holy Spirit just can't be overcome. And, and all these Pharisees and, and Sadducees are upset because this, this young man, this young leader in the church is just so full of God's wisdom that, that no one can stand against him. So they actually lie. They find some people who are willing to lie, say he's blaspheming against God and Moses. And so they bring him in the same way they brought Peter and John, the same way they brought Jesus before all of them. And say, what's going on? What are you teaching? And scripture tells us that he, 
came before them, and it actually says that he looked like an angel before them. Um, And if you look at the word in Greek, I'm no Greek scholar, of course, but if you look at the word in Greek, it talks about being confident, being at peace, being content. He was someone with no fear in the face of opposition. He was someone who had his hope elsewhere than in the circumstances of daily life. You know, the Sanhedrin, the ruling party, couldn't get to the apostles, and so maybe they thought they could get to the servants. Maybe they thought they could get to the deacons or to the lower levels and really mix up this whole Jesus movement. And so they took Stephen. And there's two questions I want us to think about tonight as we look at this story of this young man named Stephen. And the first thing is, where is our hope found? I want us to ask that question. I also want us to ask the question, when we face opposition, what is our perspective? So where is our hope found? And, and, and when we face opposition of any kind, do we have the proper perspective? So here in chapter 7, Stephen's speech before the Sanhedrin, as I said, go back and read the whole thing. It's awesome. And he lays out sort of an argument, a very articulate, very wise argument of how the Old Testament leads all directly into Jesus. How all of the wisdom and the prophets and the narratives of the books of Moses lead into who Jesus was and what Jesus taught. He wonderfully preaches the Old Testament and Hebrew traditions in front of experts. And he lays it all out for them. And then when we pick up in our passage we read tonight in verse 44, he's talking about worshiping God. right? He's talking about the tabernacle, how Moses had the tabernacle, the big tent in the desert where, where this is where the presence of God would dwell. And then he says it was first in the tabernacle and then Solomon built a temple, right? But he says, you people are missing it. You're clinging to the temple far too much. You're focusing on this building and the tradition far, far too much. He says, you forget the prophet Isaiah, and then quotes Isaiah chapter 66, saying, the Lord does not dwell in houses built by human hands. But but wasn't the presence of the Lord in the temple? Well, well, yes, but uh, let me explain. See, God chose to dwell in the tabernacle and in the temple. It was God's gift to his people. But we as human beings, what do we do whenever we get a gift? Whenever something comes to us we don't deserve, we think it's ours and we deserve it and we try to manipulate it. And the Israelites, the the Jewish leaders had thought that, oh yes, God dwells in the temple because we're following his laws perfectly and he's with us and he is on our team. So they wouldn't listen to the prophets when the prophets would come telling them, you're forsaking justice, you're not caring for the poor, you're not caring for the resident alien, they wouldn't listen to the prophets. They would say, no, 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 God's in the temple, we're running the temple, we're doing a great job, (laughs) right? It's amazing how we can separate these two things in our mind. Let us, church, remember that in the Old Testament, God chose to dwell with the people, and then now in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, what has God chosen to do? This is the beauty of the book of Acts, right? Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, has decided to dwell in you and in I. And so it's true what the prophet said in Isaiah 66, that the Lord does not dwell in houses built by human hands, but we indeed are houses built by God himself, made in his image. And because of what we see in the book of Acts, because of Jesus, because of the reconciliation Jesus offers, God has given us the gift of his presence residing in us. 
Let us never forget this. Let us never forget Acts chapter 2, which we studied a few weeks ago, but, but what we sometimes overlook in these sorts of situations, that through Jesus, we have something much greater than any temple built by men. And so he says in verse 51, 2 and 53 to the Sanhedrin, you missed this, guys. Like, I get you're following the laws, and that's good, and I get you're following Moses, and that's good, but, but this Jesus guy who, by the way, you killed, um, he, he changed everything. He changed all of that, and you missed it. And then he really lets him have it, right? So it call, kind of calls him names, which is sort of probably on the edge, but righteous indignation, I suppose. And he says this line that really mirrors something. Actually, you'll see through this whole story that Stephen kind of mirrors Jesus, and we're going to get to that. He says, was there ever a prophet you didn't persecute? Was there ever a prophet who, when spoke the word of God, you people didn't say, nah, you're wrong. There's no way you could be right. There's no way God would think that. There's no way God would be against us. There's no way I could ever be wrong. He says, you killed all the prophets. You killed Jesus. And yes, you have the law. That's great. Good for you. You have the law. But you know what? You haven't even obeyed the law. Right? So... So what is it, Stephen says to the leaders, what is it you people are clinging to so dearly? Rules? He says to these men who have spent their entire lives living by these rules and putting their hope in the law and these structures they have built, he tells them, you're missing it. You've missed it. God came to you and you killed him. And they just couldn't hear it. Which... To be fair, if we put ourselves in the Pharisee's shoes here, we probably feel kind of the same way, right? If someone comes to you and tells you everything you've ever believed and all this trust, and we talked about this last week a little bit, it'd be really hard to hear. But he says, you have the letter of the law, but you've missed the spirit of the law. You've missed the reason God gave the law. And in verse 54, 55, and 56, scripture tells us that they were furious. Everything was up in an uproar. And you can sort of picture it, you know, like a courtroom movie where someone gives some kind of testimony and everyone stands up, ah, almost like a British parliament scene where everyone starts screaming at each other. If anyone's never seen videos of British parliament, you need to watch them. It's amazing. You just wonder how in the world can a government function this way? Um, sorry, Jonathan. <laughs> but you can sort of picture it, right? Everything just gets tossed up in an uproar and then Stephen... Gosh, I love Stephen. He had no fear. He gets a vision from God in this moment. They're all on the edge of losing their minds because of this young man's testimony about Scripture. And then Stephen gets a vision from God and says, and look, I see Jesus at the right hand of God. And they just lose it. They just absolutely lose it. I mean, this, this group of religious leaders who have prided themselves on following rules and serving God and doing all of these things get to the breaking point and they just snap. And the scene turns into this horribly violent, evil time. It's too much for them. It says they dragged him out and immediately began stoning him. Like, imagine this grown men, religious leaders, these big beards, you know, these stewards, these stalwarts of the community, grabbing a young man, dragging him outside, and frantically taking off their coats and searching for rocks. It says they had to take off their coats and lay them at the feet of Saul, who we'll talk about, of course, in future weeks. 
because they wanted to throw a rock so hard at another human being that their robes and coats would have hindered them. (laughs) This is such an intense story, right? This is such a crazy story. How in the world could it get to this? How in the world could it get to a time where something like this would happen? And before we talk about the end where Stephen mirrors Jesus almost to the letter, let me ask you those two questions I asked you at the beginning again. Where is our hope found? It is very likely that Stephen knew what was going to happen when he called the religious leaders stiff-necked people and accused them of killing God. It is very likely Stephen knew what, very, what could happen to him. He was not a dumb person, we see this. But where was his hope found? And, and, and something that actually struck me this, this time studying this passage I'd never really thought about before was this vision. This vision of Jesus standing at the right hand of God. It's a really cool detail I noticed this week that I want to share with you why. God does this amazing thing for Stephen that I found really moving. See, he sees Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. And imagine the strength and the resolve and the confidence that gave Stephen in this moment. He's just said something. He probably in his mind was thinking, we've all been there, right? Should I say this? Should I actually say this thing I'm thinking? It's probably right for me to say it, but should I actually say it out loud? I don't know. I don't know what they're going to respond. I don't know how it's going to go. And so he finally just does it. And at that moment, God sends him this vision to reassure him, to give him confidence, to give him and reinforce his hope he already had that he would not be afraid. And so church, let me remind us that when we talk about where our hope is, our hope is in heaven, our hope is in Christ, but our hope is not a blind hope. Our hope is not a a, a ignorant hope or an uninformed hope. I truly believe that when we stand up for what is right, when we have faith like Stephen, that God gives us encouragement along the way. And this morning, Andy mentioned uh, in the morning service, a wonderful sermon on fasting, by the way. And if you don't like to fast, listen to this morning's sermon um, because it'll make you feel convicted about doing it. (laughs) By the way, I include myself in that. Even Jesus had these moments where God gave him encouragement, right? When he was out in the desert for 40 days, God encouraged him and sent the Holy Spirit to nourish and comfort him, it says, after the the wilderness experience. Jesus, before he returned to Jerusalem the last time, a couple of chapters before, in all three, Matthew, Mark, and um, Luke, the Synoptic Gospels, talks about the transfiguration. You remember that story? Where Jesus goes up and he's with Elijah and Moses and God in the presence of God and he's glowing because he's in the presence of God? And then a couple months later, he returns to Jerusalem to die. Even Jesus needed these encouraging times. God sends those who are faithful, sends those who put their hope in him, encouragement, confidence. And he lifts them up. Stephen had his hope set on the glory of the Lord. And in his most dire moment of need, the Lord encouraged him and showed him a vision of glory. But immediately, our human nature thinks, Yeah, but that's not going to happen to me. Some of you are sitting there thinking, I know you're thinking this. Say, okay, Sam, you're talking about Jesus and Stephen, these wonderful people in the Bible. These are not typical examples, right? 
We won't get visions. We won't face, you know, this sort of trouble all the time. God doesn't miraculously intervene in our life to encourage us, Sam. You sure? I'm going to be totally honest with you. Um, Every time I actually stop and pray, slow down, especially when I'm feeling like I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, I realize these things are all around me. I realize that you can be having a really, really hard day, but when you decide to take the time and stop and talk with someone, a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ, that person may say exactly what you need to hear. But we just don't take the time to stop and talk. Happened to me today. I was busy, I was frantic, I had a lot of things in my mind, and someone just said, hey, you got a minute? And I decided to say yes. And I think we were both mutually edified by that conversation. See, church, when we talk about where we place our hope, when we talk about our, 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 how we see the world, so often what we want is proof before we believe, right? So often what we want is a proof. God, I will do this big thing for you if you show me this, right? So I love the, the, the disciple Thomas, right? Yeah, Jesus, I'll believe, but I need to see it, right? Because he said what we were all thinking, But that's not what we see here in this story. See, human nature says, show me and then I will believe. What God asks of us, his children and his servants, is that we would believe and then he will bestow upon us everything we need. With Stephen, what did he do? He stood up for the truth. He was brought before the religious leaders and preached truth and preached righteousness and preached Christ crucified. And then when he was faced with his most dire need, God gave him a vision of glory. And then in his remaining moments, he echoed Christ's love for people who were killing him. I mean, if you reread verse 59 or 58, 59, and 60 enough, I'm not even going to reread them because I'm going to start crying and I got to get through this. Um, It's beautiful. This this waiter, that's what the deacon started as. Remember, they were waiting tables and serving food to widows. This waiter mirrored Christ perfectly because his hope was set on Christ and he was able to see the big picture, not the circumstance immediately in front of him. And that's that second question I asked us, right? Can we focus on the big picture when we face opposition? Can we focus on what's most important and not the immediate circumstance of our fear? Stephen preached truth, he lived in the truth, and his hope was found in Jesus. Like I said, he he was serving food to widows. And for 2,000 years, Christians have been reading his story and being encouraged by him because he focused on Jesus and saw the big picture. He was amazing. Do we have that same? Do we have that same gift? Because we have that ability. The question I really believe is, are we choosing? Are we choosing to have that same faith? Are we choosing to trust that even if we step out and stick our necks out on behalf of God in one way or another, that God will be there when we need him? Because human nature tells us just focus on circumstances. Obsess over your problems and concerns for right now. We've all gone through this, by the way. Something happens, and we feel kind of this stirring in our heart. Oh, maybe I should do this. 
Maybe I should go on this trip. Maybe I should reach out to this person. Maybe I should have that conversation with this one other person. And then then we stop and think, okay, God, I'll do it if you. God, show me. And sometimes God does. Sometimes God nudges. Sometimes God gives signs. But sometimes not. You know, for me, I remember very clearly before I decided to come to Zurich, I was really scared, honestly. And I remember talking to friends and people saying, how do you know it's like the right thing to do? (laughs) And I said, yeah, I'm about 60, maybe 70% sure. And they said, you're going to move across the world for 60 or 70%? I said, yeah, I think so. (laughs) And people were just like, what in the world do you mean? I said, well, listen, do I trust Jesus? Yes. Has he ever let me go hungry and, 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 and without food and without a roof and without clothes on my back? No. Like, how bad could it be? <laughs> and then when I said yes, and then when I started the process of coming across the world and trying something new and scary and different, then things started all falling into place. And then all these extra things came that encouraged us and boosted our confidence. So by the time I got here, there was no doubt in my mind this is where God had called me. But if I had sat there and said to God, okay, God, prove it to me first, and then I will go, I'd still be sitting there waiting. See, Stephen stepped out in faith, preached the truth, placed his hope in Jesus, and then the Lord blessed him with a vision that was able to carry him through a vicious and violent attack. And in the midst of the worst thing any of us could possibly imagine, he is glorifying his heavenly father and praying that his enemies would be forgiven. We want proof, I get it. I I, I want proof. But can we, like Stephen, place our hope in Jesus? Can we have faith like this, brothers and sisters, even if we don't see? And then I'm gonna say one more thing that really bugs me, but I have to say it. Even if God doesn't deliver us, will we still have the same faith? Remember that really pesky story in Daniel chapter three about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I don't have a ton of scripture memorized, but Daniel 3.18 is in the back of my head all the time and it drives me crazy. We will not bow down to this statue because our, or we will not bow down to this statue. We are not afraid of the fire. This, by the way, is my paraphrase. But then they say, because our God can save us. Daniel 3.18 then says, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. Are we willing to trust in the big picture of God, to trust in God's glory, to trust in the salvation of Jesus Christ, even if God doesn't save us from our circumstances? Are we willing to trust in the mystery of what will happen? Because it's a mystery. This is what talks about all through the New Testament, the mystery of the gospel, right? There are mysteries in this life. There are unknowns. We do not know what life will hold. Are you willing to trust in the mystery, trust in the unknown of what God's plan for you is, but trust that it is good? Today is Palm Sunday. Think about how Jesus felt on that day. Everyone's praising him, and he's pretty sure what's going to happen. And in fact, Luke 19, another good one. We talked about it in youth group this morning. It's another great one about Palm Sunday. Jesus actually sees Jerusalem, it says, and he weeps. Just like when Lazarus died, it says Jesus wept over the city. 
because he knew they didn't get it. But Jesus knew. Jesus saw the big picture. Jesus was able to endure in difficult circumstances. And it made him terribly sad. It was difficult for Jesus. Our Lord and Savior wept over his week, his final week on earth, before he entered into it. But he continued on into the city, into the temple courts, preaching truth, standing up for what was right. And Stephen did the same. Stephen mirrors Jesus so well, he trusted in the word of God. He knew God wins in the end, and so he continued. Church, let me say this, and and, and I'll end with this. Only an absolute crazy person would choose to be a Christian without the promise of the life to come, right? Like only an absolute crazy person would, would say, I'm on team Jesus if we didn't have the promise of heaven. But we absolutely do have the promise of the life to come. We do have the promises of God and the promises of this book to cling to. We are not crazy. Well, I'm a little crazy. You're a little crazy. We're odd people. But we are not crazy for believing this. So let me encourage you, you are not crazy for placing your hope in Jesus. You are not crazy for believing in something you cannot prove. And as you go forward, I trust, I believe, I know that God will give you encouragement along the way. It may not be a heavenly vision of glory like Stephen had. It could be a friend that comes alongside you and says, I love you. It could be something small. It could be a cloud that's shaped in a way that makes you smile. It could be anything. But God is there. And when we stop and look and listen, he is there speaking. He is there sending help. He is there telling us, get your head out of your circumstances. Trust in me and focus on the big picture. And that is the love and the reconciliation and the redemption we all have in him. Stephen had this hope in Jesus. Jesus, on Palm Sunday, certainly had this hope. And it was this hope that Jesus was able to continue on with. It was this hope that Stephen was able to continue on. It is in this hope and the hope we have in Jesus Christ and the life to come that you and I will make it through this world. Make it through all the stuff at work, the stuff with our family. When we're sick and tired of being sick and tired, we will carry on. Because as Paul said, for I am convinced... There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, sometimes I just can't stand it. I look to someone like Stephen and I just wonder, how can I have that faith? And yet, Lord, you promise me, my sisters and brothers in this room, that that is a gift you give freely. That through our relationships, through our friends, through worship, through scripture, through prayer, through all of the gifts you have given us, Father, we can learn more about you, trust more in you, have the faith that carries us through this life. And so then, God, let us fix our hope upon you and you alone. Let us remember your promises. Let us remember the things that Jesus remembered, the things that Stephen remembered. Let us stand up for truth. And when we feel crushed, when we feel persecuted, when we feel like the walls are caving in, let us not hide with our eyes closed, but stand proudly with our eyes open, looking for the hope and encouragement that you bring us. Lord, you are good. Your mercy endures forever, and I believe it, and I cling to it. Lord, we pray all of this in the mighty, 
matchless, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to invite our musicians to come forward and lead us in some more music. And uh, I know we can't sing, but let's uh, take this time to reflect on what God's doing in our hearts.
Uh, we will now have the prayers of the people. Um, after each prayer, I will say, Lord, in our, your mercy. And if you would like, uh, please respond with the words, hear our prayers. Um, let us pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are, vast beyond all our comprehension. Where can we go from your spirit? Where can we flee from your presence? Heaven is your throne and the earth is your footstool. Sorry for the times that we limit you or try and fit you into our own human constructions. Would this wonderful knowledge of who you are lead us more and more to praise you as you deserve and want your plans and purposes to prosper and not our own. Thank you that despite your vastness, you love and care for us individually, that you now dwell in your people by your spirit and through Jesus' death on the cross, we now have direct access to the Father in prayer. Help us more and more to know deeply how privileged we are to have such an intimate relationship with you, um, one so much greater than the Old Testament temple offers. And would this wonderful knowledge of who you are drive us to want to know you better and to spend more time in your word and in prayer. Pray that we would trust you more and more fully and have all our hope in your promises. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. As we have seen in Acts that your word is so often met with hostility and persecution, we are reminded that many people around the world still suffer for your name today. Lord, comfort those who are facing opposition for their faith in you. Place around them fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who can encourage them and spur them on to continue running the race. And give them strength by your spirit to continue to hold, formed, hold, hold firm to your word and persist in living faithfully for you. Like the apostles in Acts, help them to rejoice even in their suffering, knowing that they have been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for your name. Through the example of the Apostle Paul, we are also reminded that no one is too far from entering the kingdom of God. And so we also pray for those who are persecuting your church. Open their eyes and soften their hearts to see the truth of the gospel. Through the witness of your church, display to them the splendour and goodness of the Lord Jesus and give them the humility to repent and turn to you. Despite the many restrictions put on your church around the world, we know that your word is not chained. And so we pray that your word will continue to bear fruit and your kingdom will continue to grow, even in places of severe persecution. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, we lift up to you the current unrest in Myanmar. Comfort those who have lost loved ones, that they would have time and space to mourn and people around them to support them. Give energy and wisdom to medical workers caring for and helping the injured. And we pray for peace in Myanmar and an end to the bloodshed, that people will be treated with the value and dignity they deserve as creatures made in your image. We've seen your word that you are a God of justice. And so we ask that in your sovereignty, you continue to act in this world in ways that are keeping with your character. Protect the weak, 
needy and defenceless and hold leaders accountable for their actions. Give wisdom and boldness to other leaders from countries around the world to respond to this situation in ways that are in keeping with your word and seek to promote peace and justice. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Lord, we praise you for the gift of your church. Thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ who challenge, encourage and support us in our faith and for the technology that has allowed us to continue to meet as your people despite the current coronavirus restrictions. Thank you also for the opportunity for some of us to start meeting together again in person. We ask that you give wisdom to our church elders, that they will continue to make wise and godly decisions that honour your name. May their decisions continue to allow IPC to be a good witness to you, to prioritise your gospel purposes, and to submit to the authorities who you have established. We also thank you for our pastors, Andy and Sam. Thank you for how they model to us Christ-like sacrificial service and for feeding us faithfully from your word each Sunday. Continue to guide them in how they can best serve your people during this unusual season and give them the energy and strength to do so well. We ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And finally, do join with me in saying the Lord's words at the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
Right on. It's a great last line of that song, right? I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, and so we will. This stuff is going to last. This stuff is going to keep coming up. There's going to be trials. There's going to be temptations. There's going to be hardships. People will say harsh words against you. And yet, surely goodness, love, and mercy will follow us wherever we go. Because our God goes with us. And so whatever it is you are facing, know that this is a season. Know that your God is with you. Know that we are with you. Know that we are one body together in Christ. Not a single one of us is called to do this life alone, and so we won't. And so as you go, take with you this benediction into your week, into whatever the Lord has for you. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he is the one who has called you. He is faithful, and he will accomplish this work in you. Amen. Amen. Go in peace, sisters and brothers, and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week. Friends on Zoom, stay online, and you can chat and unmute yourself and visit with one another. We're so grateful that you were with us as well, and I just realized I forgot to welcome any visitors. So um, before we go, is there anyone here who's visiting or here for the first time that would be brave and just want to introduce themselves? Ah, zip it. I can yell. I can just turn off the mic. All right. If there's no visitors then. And now we'll go. Have a great week, everyone. It's great to see you. See you.